Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you may be listening to our daily devotional podcast. I am Sam Mitchell, and I'm very excited to continue in reading God's Word together. Uh, What a blessing this has been. Today we are in Numbers chapters 5 and 6, and man, we have a ton to get through, including a crazy story and test uh, for adulterers. And we're really going to dive into that and look at that. But also, uh, if you can think back to, I think it would have been about a year and a half to two years ago, there was this particular text that was taken out of context uh, where pro-choice people began to make a case that Numbers 5 actually is God endorsing abortions. And we're really going to look and see if you read it already, and you'll go, well, that makes zero sense, because like we say, read the Bible in context, and you'll understand it, but if you choose to pick a verse every now and then, I guess you can twist it to say what you want to say, but that's why we say read the Word of God verse by verse, and if there's anything that is contrary to it, it is not the Word that needs to change, but it is us, and so we're going to dive right in and just see what God has in store for us today. So we see in the first verse of chapter five, it says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp, everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. And so if you can think back uh, to just really probably about a week ago now, uh, when we were in Leviticus 13, Leviticus 15, Leviticus 21, where it dealt with uh, exactly how to handle unclean people, we are seeing this begin to happen. Uh, God commanding, saying, send them out of the camp. And we see in verse four, and the people of Israel did so and put them outside the camp as the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did. And so we see them following the command that God had given them to Put the people uh, who were unclean out of the camp. And I just want to say, I don't think it's ever random what we read in God's word. And so uh, what what a beautiful thing uh, in the three things that we get here, that it is leprosy, that it is discharges, and that it's dead bodies that were the reminders of the effects of sin. Uh, What Israel must say, put out of the camp, that what is separating them from being with their God. And so uh, what what an analogy, what beauty that we see for this being the reminders of the effects of sin, because none of those things just come about randomly, right? They're inherited. It's an analogy of humanity's sin nature inherited from Adam. A leper does not choose leprosy, but inherits it. You know, discharges are not just, hey, I really want this to happen, but it happens to us. And obviously dead bodies, well, what are we Apart from Christ, we're dead. And so it is a direct point to our sin nature. And man, just what an incredible picture of the gospel right there. And so then we see uh, God speaking to Moses the way for the people of Israel to make restitution uh, for their wrongs, for what they've done wrong. And that's what we see. It says in verse 5, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, When a man or woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt. And so what what exactly does it mean by breaking faith with the Lord when someone commits a sin against that? And 
it's it's probably right here someone who has made a made an oath or made a contract with somebody uh, and has been unfaithful to that contract now and has wronged that person and so their sin is not only against the person now but it was something made before the Lord so now they have also sinned against the Lord and so what does God command for us to do here when that has happened he says first he must confess his sin and then he must make restitution. He must make it right. He must pay back what he has wronged. He must do it in full is what we see. So in addition to the confession of sin, the guilty man has also got to pay what he has wronged, what he has taken away. And so, man, what a beautiful picture of how justice should be done. It shouldn't be, you know, anything uh, crazy extra added to what they have wronged. It shouldn't be anything uh, crazy that they just get away with it and nothing is to happen to them, but they must pay back what they've wronged, but also plus one-fifth of it. The restitution uh, included uh, a penalty, right? Uh, I love what Adam Clark says here. It says, For without restitution in every possible case, God will not forgive the inquiry of the man's sin. How can any person in a case of defraud with his neighbor's property in his possession expect to receive mercies from the hand of a just and holy God? And so we we see it's not just paying back what you took, but paying back more because you've wronged them not just of what you've taken, but of their time at this point. So we get to verse 11, and this is where we do get the mention of, like I said, this crazy story where if a husband is just suspecting that his wife has been unfaithful, uh, the text would say that she has defiled herself, then he can take her before a priest and the priest would make her drink, uh, I said holy water, bitter water, uh, which was made from water and from the dust of the ground of the tabernacle and from uh, the ink of the curse that the priest would ride out and they were to drink it. And if they had not been unfaithful to their husband, they would be okay. But uh, as the text says in verse 22, if the water that brings the curse passes into your bowels and makes your womb swell and your thigh fall away. And so uh, this curse that would come upon the woman and uh, she would be a curse to the people. But if she had not defiled herself, she would be free and shall conceive children. And you know, it's this crazy thing where you're like, well, this sounds brutal. Uh, but what has happened in recent years is people have taken this text specifically in the NIV and have made it a way to and say God endorses abortion. And Because in the NIV, in its text, it says in verse 27, if she had made herself impure and been unfaithful to her husband, this will be the result. When she is made to drink the water that brings a curse and causes bitter suffering, it will enter her abdomen, will swell, and her womb will miscarry, and she will become a curse. So they are saying the woman here is already pregnant, and that when she drinks this water, she will miscarry the child, and it is, in sense, an abortion. There's a couple of problems here, uh, mainly where a lot of times I say read on. Uh, in verse 28, right after this, it says, And her womb will miscarry, and she will become a curse. Verse 28, If, however, the woman has not made herself impure, but is clean, she will be cleared of guilt and will be able to have children. Have children, not continue with the child that's already there. So, 
obviously in this test for adultery, if a woman is pregnant without having any relations with her husband, it's got to be pretty obvious and there's not much of a test for adultery unless you're married, right? So unless that's happened. Uh, But also, it's not just like naturally if you throw any dirt in any water, you're just going to, you know, become sickly like this. But this curse is specifically to this. But the other part of this is there's no mention of her even having a child. So the abortion argument makes about as much sense as Joe Biden describing America in one word. (laughs) I'm sorry, that's a terrible attempt at a joke. If there's any Joe Biden fans... Well, there's grace in Christ. Uh, but it, it's just a silly and not faithful argument to God's word here. Now, the other side of the thing that you could begin to argue is why is a husband just allowed to make a, a accusation against a wife with nothing happening to him? Why is it only that the wife potentially has something happen to her or she's proven innocent and that's the end of it? Well, Rather than me try to fully explain this, I I love what the Gospel uh, Coalition describes. It says, The ritual prescribed in Numbers 5 is known as a trial by ordeal. Most American readers are familiar with these from Salem witch trials of early American history, but there's a long history of such trials through various cultures. Most ancient, ancient trials by ordeal had a common theme, the belief that gods would protect an innocent person from being harmed. In a similar similar situation to the one in Numbers 5, it was a very common thing, especially in Babylonian culture, that if a finger had been pointed at a man's wife because of another man, but she had not been caught lying with the other man, she would leap into the river, and basically if she survived, she was innocent. If she drowned, she was guilty, and that was how it went. Uh, In the context of the ancient world of Moses' day, a husband was understood to have full authority over his wife. And if she were accused of adultery, he would have been well within his cultural rights to divorce her without cause, one, or two, even put her to death. So, at first glance, as this can seem, well, that's absolutely insane. So, there was no proof of the woman lying with her. That's what we get from the uh, lying with him. Uh, from the text or anything like that. There's no accusation other than this jealousy uh, that has come over the husband. And he just gets to make this accusation. Well, we actually see this is a little bit of a picture of grace that God would not just willingly give over to the accusation, but would create a way for her to be proven innocent. But if she was not innocent and did go through with this, then a curse would be upon her. And so... uh, it's this be- beautiful picture of God's grace and God's justice, you know, both sides, two-sided coin, but also this picture that we get to Christ that we deserve to drink the bitter water and we deserve to have a curse upon us, but Christ takes the bitter water for us. Christ takes the curse for us. And I love once again what the Gospel Coalition says. It says, Christ brought our case before God the Father, judge over all the earth, protecting us from unjust accusations and paying the penalty for the just ones. Jesus became a curse among the people in our place for cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Numbers five is an important tutor that points us to the one mediator between God and humankind who silences all accusations for all time against those who believe man is that not good.
So then we get to chapter six, six, not six, six, and we get the Nazarite vow. And uh, Nazarites are not someone who is from Nazareth. Uh, it's not a Nazarene like uh, we get mention of of Jesus Christ, uh, but rather a famous Nazarite who you'll probably immediately start to think of is Samson. And so what we see about Nazarites are they are someone who separate themselves to the Lord. And that's what we get in verses one and two. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when either a man or woman make a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord. And so that's what we get. This is someone who is expressing a special desire to draw close to God and separate oneself from the comforts and pleasures of this world. And so specifically what we see of them is that they separate themselves from wine and or similar drink, uh, that they let their hair grow long, that razors don't come upon their head. Like I said, Samson, uh, we know that, uh, Samson's mom, uh, took the vow of a Nazarite during her pregnancy from Judges 13. Uh, and so we see that they don't go near a dead body. Uh, even if a uh, father, mother, brother, sister were to die during uh, the time of their vow, during the days of their vow, they could not mourn for them as normal. Uh, That's kind of the difference in them and a priest. You know, a priest could mourn the over the dead or take care of the dead body of their close relative, but this was not allowed for the Nazarite. And so we see at the end of verse eight, that all the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. And so, uh, we, we see this special importance set on these people during their time of this vow. And so we see all these details on if someone is, to even drop dead beside them, how they would have to restart this all over again in verses 9 through 12. Um, we get, I guess, kind of the consequences of if the vow is broken. Uh, then we get in 13 through 15, the items that are needed for the sacrifice when the Nazarite has finished up the days of his separation. You know, it says that he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle meeting, and he shall present his offering to the Lord, one male lamb in its first year without blemish as a burnt offering, one ewe lamb in its first year without blemish as a sin offering, one ram without blemish as a peace offering. Uh, looking back to everything we read in ex- Exodus. And so we see all these intricate details on what they are to offer when it is when their time is done. So we see the sacrifices offered and everything that goes into that. And so we see the priest brings them before the Lord and we see that their hair is finally uh, taken, uh, that it is cut and it is thrown into the fire and uh, that they make all these offerings on behalf of the Nazarite and uh, the wave offering, the grain offering, all the things. And so uh, then we see that after all this, when they're Time is done. They have done all this that the Nazarite may drink wine. And this was the official conclusion of the vow. This was presumably part of a fellowship meal with the portions of a meat from the sacrifice allowed to the one who had concluded this vow. And then we end our time today 
with uh, words that you will probably recognize from a song that we sing often at EC. It's actually kind of been a little while, so Alex, if you listen to this, uh, maybe you'll sing it this Sunday. Uh, It's a test. We'll see what happens. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. And man, what awesome, powerful words. Maybe you were singing it in your head as we read that. And it's the desire of the people, right? That the Lord will bless us. And what a blessing he has given to us in his son, Christ Jesus, that God does indeed love to bless his people. He has such a great love for us. He He wants us to be blessed by him. So, But it doesn't end there. It prays that God will keep us. And man, is that not the biggest blessing ever, that the Lord would keep us. And not only that, that his face would be made to shine upon us. What a indeed great blessing that would be. One of the greatest gifts we could ever have to know that God is looking upon us and he is well pleased, that he is shining out through us. There's no greater source of peace and power. Um, and that he would be gracious to us. Uh, what a what a prayer uh, that God would continue to be. What a blessing that God would be gracious to his people. And then that the Lord would lift up his countenance upon you. If you're me, you had to Google the countenance definition. And man, it's so powerful. It's a person's face or facial expression specifically and given support and to admit as acceptable or possible. And so what an amazing thing that God looks at us and that he sees us as acceptable solely because of the blessing that he has been given to us in Christ Jesus and that he would give us peace. Man, what an amazing thing that we would get peace and life only through Jesus Christ, that we would have the ultimate peace in him. And then it ends with, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. We will repeat the name of the Lord forever and ever. We will sing that name forever and ever. It will always be upon them. Thank you so much for listening in this morning, this afternoon, this evening. Uh, We pray that this continues to be a blessing for you.